Good morning. It's good to see you all this morning. And uh, if you have your Bibles, let's look at First uh, Peter chapter three. Uh, this morning we're going to be looking at uh, husbands. We uh, left off with that last week because I didn't have enough time. And uh, also continuing with the good life in uh, verses uh, 8 through 12. But uh, today we're finishing up a, a, a subject, a, a topic, where we are expected to live out our faith in oppressive environments, whether it be the government, whether we're, uh, we're, we're living in uh, an op- oppressive society with an oppressive government, whether it's a difficult work environment, or maybe it's a marriage relationship where uh, you as the wife are a believer, but your husband is not a believer. And so Peter has had some strong words for us as to how we are to live our lives, because we need to be living in such a way that people see our good deeds. This is in chapter 2, verse 12. People need to be seeing our good deeds and might glorify God on his return. And uh, so we've been looking at uh, verses 13 of chapter 2 through uh, chapter 3. Uh, we looked at ver- verse uh, through verse 6 last week, and this morning we're going to start with verse 7. So uh, let me read beginning in verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, Brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord against, is against those who do evil. So as we finish up uh, verse 7 this morning, um, Paul is uh, speaking here specifically to husbands. And, uh, and now last week, ladies, we looked at first, Peter had six verses for the wives and only one verse for the husband. But most likely he had six verses for the wives was, is because they were, she, they were living in a difficult situation. Uh, the wife most likely was the one who came to a relationship with, with Christ. And it was the husband who was still an unbeliever. And so how is she to live out her faith before an uh, unbelieving husband? And so he took his time with that, that, uh, that particular situation. Now for the husbands this morning, um, and in verse 7, it's most likely that this is not an unequally yoked relationship. And when I say unequally yoked, that means one spouse is a believer, one spouse is not a believer. But in verse 7, we get the idea that both are believers, because in verse 7, it says, they are heirs with you of the grace of life. And so he's most likely living with a believing wife. But nonetheless, if he's married to an unbelieving wife, how is the husband to treat his wife? And this is a loaded verse, guys. And I want to just encourage you to pay attention to these words. 
uh, because your wife's going to hold you accountable just like my wife is holding me accountable uh, following this message this morning. But uh, Peter says two things. He says, Husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way. Now, just back up for just a moment. You see the first word in verse 7, likewise. That same word is used in verse 1 of chapter 3. And it is referring to what we've been through in chapter 2. And it's this idea that we are to submit ourselves to oppressive authorities. We are to honor them. We are to submit ourselves to um, uh, difficult employers um, as employees. And as a wife in a difficult, oppressive marriage relationship, she is to submit herself to her husband. But guess what, guys? Likewise, we must live in mutual submission with our wife. Okay? It's not a dominating relationship here. Our example is Christ. And Christ came to serve. And men, you are there to serve your wife, not dominate her. Okay? And we'll get into that a little bit more in just a moment. But live with her in an understanding way. You need to know them. Do you know the needs of your wife? Do you know her love language? I don't know if you've uh, uh, read the book, uh, The Five Lung Lang- Love Languages, written by Gary Smalley. It's an old book, but uh, it's a very practical and helpful book. And all of us... Um, communicate uh, through a particular love language. And uh, the lo- there's five love languages. One is appreciation. The other is affection, time, gifts, and acts of service. And whatever your love language is, um, when your spouse uh, chooses to meet your needs uh, love you through that particular love language, she receives it. She appreciates it. Now, I'll just give you Susan and I for an example. <laughs> My wife's love language, she has two. She has, um, she wants to be appreciated and she wants to be Held. She has, uh, her love language is touch, affection. She came from a very affectionate family. I didn't come from a very affectionate family. There weren't a whole lot of huggers in my family. But my love language is acts of service. So, I forget that I need to be communicating in her love language. Okay? Uh, when I communicate my love language, when I am helpful around the, the house, when I try to make her life a little bit easier, she appreciates that, but that's not her love language. Her love language is appreciation and affection. I need to be touching her. I need to be thanking her. I need to be hugging her. Um, this is her love, love language. And when my wife... Why are you guys laughing over there? <laughs> You're going to have to come up here and give commentary, I guess. You're making me very nervous. But my wife knows that my love language is as a service. And so when she does a simple thing like prepare the coffee the night before and all I have to do is press a button? Boy, she was thinking about me the night before and I appreciate that she's done that for me. Another thing I appreciate is when she irons shirts for me. I hate to iron. but uh, And that's just a, a little thing, but that's something uh, that I appreciate. That's my love. So you need to know your wife. You need to get to to know her. 
And so my question to you is, have you asked her recently? What do you need, dear? What's going on in your life? How can I meet your needs? And I suggest that you take a date night. And that is a great question to um, revolve your conversation around. How can I meet your needs? Where are you at? What can I do for you? Now, wives, if your husbands ask you that question, don't say, do I have to tell you again? You should know this by now. That's not going to encourage him, okay? He needs all the encouragement he can get. And so don't make that statement. And uh, and guys, you know, if you're just kind of clueless at this point, and, um, and you want to be proactive here and uh, convey to your wife that you know her, Google it. Serious. You know, I did this uh, uh, last week. I uh, typed in how to know your wife. Now, when I said that to my wife, she said, where did that question take you, Bill? Now, I'm not talking about how to know your wife in a biblical sense, okay? But spiritually and emotionally. And uh, you'll come, you'll find a lot of good sites that will help you know and understand your wife. So just want to put that out there, guys, if you need some a little help in advance, okay? But uh, there's another comical thing about that, how to know your wife. You know how Google kind of fills in the rest of the uh, question for you? Oh, there's some doozies of questions that guys are asking uh, about their wives. So that's an interesting thing to learn, too. So, yeah, so know her needs. Live with her in an understanding way. And then number two, you need to handle with care. The Bible says show her honor. That word for honor, the root word for that word honor, is a word that describes the honor emperors are given. I mean, if the president were to be coming over to your house this evening, um, you would truly be honored by his presence, but you would want to give him honor. We need to be showing that kind of love and honor and care to our wife. And why do we need to do this? Peter says, because she is the weaker vessel. Now, that doesn't imply that she is uh, inferior to you either intellectually or emotionally or spiritually. In most cases, you know what, guys? Our wives far exceed us in those areas. When Peter is talking about the weaker Vessel. He's talking about the woman's physical structure. You know, nine times out of ten, my my money's going to be on a man in an arm wrestling competition between his wife. Okay, the man is just physically stronger, and she is the weaker vessel. <clears throat> and so he's talking about physical structure. Now. I do have to admit that there are times when I think my wife is stronger than me, physically. One is carrying the groceries into the house. I don't get it, but she has to have all, you know, as many bags in her arms as possible to get into that house because she just wants to make one trip. But for me, I can't carry that much at one time, and so I, it requires of me multiple trips. Another thing where my wife was uh, supernaturally strong was when our son Trevor 
broke his arm. He was in a, uh, uh, him and Tony Ochoa started a business operation where they were going, their, the, uh, the name of their business was the whole nine yards. And so it was going to be a uh, lawn service type thing. And I was their first customer. Yeah. And uh, they were in the backyard, and they were cleaning up all the weeds in the, in the grapevines. And uh, their version, their idea of pulling the weeds was not only getting the weed, but the dirt underneath the weed and putting it in the big green garbage can. Okay? And so you can just imagine how heavy this green garbage can was. Well, they were trying to move it, and the garbage can fell on Trevor's arm. And he was screaming bloody murder. And I wasn't home at the time, but Susan ran outside, and she picked that green garbage can up off off his arm and got him to the emergency room. I tried to pick up that garbage can. There was no way. But the adrenaline was flowing so uh, fast through her because her son was in trouble that uh, those mama bear jeans kicked in and rescued her son. So they can be stronger than us at times, guys. But... When it comes to the weaker vessel, we need to realize that she is co-heir with us in the grace of life. And we need to treat her delicately. We need to treat her uh, gently. Um, You know, when Peter says... um, She's the gracious gift of the vessel of life. It's most likely because she's a believer with you. And she's going to share in that inheritance. But I came across a second meaning that may apply to this passage of Scripture. Uh, and it could refer to the gracious gift of, of life. She is your partner in giving life to your children. She, she is that gift. She, she's that vessel that provides that gift of life. And guys, in her bearing your children, that takes great strength. She goes through a lot in order to provide the children that we enjoy today in our home. So, you can think of her Um, In that way, too, there's nothing weak about her. She is a very strong individual, but she is a delicate vessel. And we cannot afford to treat her like we treat our male friends. She doesn't want the kind of hug that we give each other, guys. How you doing? And pat them three times. No, we don't treat them that way. We treat them delicately. We treat them like fine china. They are not disposable plasticware that we just regularly discard. And that means that there is no room whatsoever for physical or verbal abuse with our wives. They are delicate creatures, guys. And they are created in the image of God. They are God's daughter. Think about your little girls, guys. And how concerned you are about the guys who are going to be taking them out on dates. And your words to them. <laughs> you better be home on time. You better treat her right. I know where you live. You know, we're very opre- protective of our little girls. Your wife is God's little girl, man. 
and we need to treat her accordingly. Handle with care. Comfort her. You know, if she's got an issue, they do have issues, and they bring those issues to you, you know what? Our nature is one to fix the problem. She doesn't want you to fix the problem. She wants you to understand what she's going through. I mean, their girlfriends understand that, and they're very sympathetic towards about those issues. And we guys need to be the same way. Instead of just trying to fix it and go on, we need to hear, we need to understand what she's going through. So guys, she said yes to you. She took on your name. She trusts you with her whole life. She put all of her confidence in you, that you are going to provide for her, that you are going to take care of her needs. Guys, she needs you. Don't abuse her. We have a responsibility to love our wives. In Ephesians 5, Paul says the wives are to respect the husband, and the husband is to love the wife. How do we love our wife? Sacrificially. Jesus is our example. We have to go back to chapter 2, verses uh, 20 through 20, 24. We have to look at the cross. And just as Jesus gave his life for us, guys, we need to be giving our lives to our wives. Christ is our ultimate example. So if you want to be the king of your house, I like what uh, my former pastor, Rob Zinn, would say. You know, we want to feel like the king of our house. Well, if you want to feel like the king of your, your house, guess what? You need to treat your wife like the queen. And she, in turn, will treat you like the king. No queenie, no kingy. And guys, it starts with us. <clears throat> now, if we don't do that, verse 7 says, your prayers, you, we need to treat her in, this, in such a way so that your prayers may not be hindered. There are consequences in mistreating our wife when, when running roughshod over our wives. When we do that, Peter says, God takes this personally. He takes this seriously. He says, I won't be listening to you. I won't be blessing you. You're going to be all on your own. And it's not going to go well for you. So guys, how you doing? If you're not doing very well, guess what? It's not over yet. It just takes one step in the right direction to get you where the Lord wants you to be. So, date your wife. Appreciate her. Show her that you love her. Spend time with her. Whatever her love language is, you communicate in that love language. And I give you permission this week to ask my wife, well, how did your husband do this week, Susan? Okay? But, uh, 
that's an area that I need to grow into. So, guys, let's be about that. And then finally, verses 8 through 12 uh, summarize uh, all that we've been looking at in uh, chapter 2 and uh, chapter 3 up to this point. And um, I want to read that again in just a moment, but I want to bring your attention to verse 10. Verse 10 says, Whoever desires to love life and see good, good days, let him keep his tongue from evil, and he goes on. But I want to I talk about the good days, the good life. You know, I find myself in a rut when I tell people goodbye, you know, and uh, my go-to phrase, uh, default phrase is, have a good day. Well, Peter wants us to have a good life. And how do we have a good life? Let me reread verses um, 8 through 12. Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous, and his ears are open to their prayers. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Peter uh, mentions in verse 8 five godly virtues that are to be on display in our personal life for the world to see. He talks about unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, tender heart, humble mind. And then in verse 10, B and 11, he goes on to say these things. Turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. But in verse 10, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. So these are the virtues, church, not just men. But it applies to men, but it applies to all of us here in this room this morning. These are the virtues, these are the godly characteristics that Peter says need to be on display in our life. And so my question is, where are you falling short? What do you struggle with most? What do you need to allow the Holy Spirit to help you to grow in, to become more like Christ? Two things, if you want to have the good life. Number one, verse nine, be a blessing. Be a blessing. You were called to be a blessing. And why should we be be a blessing? Because our destiny, church, is in obtaining a blessing. This is what we have to look forward to. And so whatever relationships you're in, whether at work or at home, whatever, your words, my words, need to be one of blessing, one of encouragement, of building others up, whether it's your wife or your husband or your children, work relationships. Guys, are you being a blessing this morning? I know some of you are here and you're thinking, Pastor, you don't know who I live with. You don't know who I work with. I know I don't. But God does. And just as God has shown 
shown grace and mercy to us in forgiving us of our sins and bringing us in relationship to Him. God wants us to show grace and mercy to those who don't deserve it around us. And again, you can't do this in the flesh. That's why He's given you the Holy Spirit. You need to be dependent upon Him. Be a blessing. Because, guys, this is going to be our destiny in receiving that blessing. And then number two, have the right attitude. As he mentions all these virtues, verses 8 through 11, you know, in order to display those virtues, you've got to have the right attitude. A godly attitude, not a self-centered attitude. A godly attitude. And this will lead to a good life. Now don't let, don't hear me say that in living or experiencing a good life that you're never ever going to suffer. (laughs) The exact opposite is going to happen because not everybody's going to like you. But you must continue to display Christ. We're not there yet. We'll be here next week. But look at verse 14. Verse 14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. So just anticipate suffering. Psalm 34, verse 19. Now, as we, in chapter 3 here, uh, verses 10 through 12, Peter is quoting from Psalm 34, verses 12 through 16. Peter loves Psalm 34. Psalm 34 is quoted on 11 different occasions in the book of First Peter. So it's kind of like when he was writing this letter to the believers in Asia, the exiles of Asia. He had Psalm 34 open as he was writing this letter. But Psalm 34, verse 19, I lost my spot. says this, The righteous person may have many troubles, but the Lord delivers him from them all. So anticipate suffering by living the godly life. But again, we go back to chapter 1. God is going to use it in your life to make you more like Jesus. He's going to remove the dross, the impurities from your life as you go through times of suffering. And so we can rejoice because God holds us and He is not going to let us go. He is going to deliver us from it all. So, as we've looked at these godly virtues in verses 8 through 11, and showing grace, love, and forgiveness toward others who have harmed us, I couldn't find a better illustration than what happened this last week. A lot of you have seen the video. Uh, It's a courtroom scene. Brent Jean, both Jean's brother, forgave uh, Botham's um, murderer, Amber Geiger, in, in court. And I just want to replay this If you truly are sorry, I know I can speak for myself. I I forgive you. And I know if you go to God and ask him, he will forgive you. 
And I don't think anyone could sit. Again, I'm speaking for myself, not even bad for my family. But I love you just like anyone else. And I'm not going to say I hope you rot and die just like my brother did, but I see, I, I personally want the best for you. And I, I wasn't going to ever say this in front of my family or anyone, but I don't even want you to go to jail. I want the best for you. Because I know that's what, that's exactly what both of them would want you to do. And the best would be give your life to Christ. Again, I love you as a person. And I don't wish anything bad on you. I don't know if this is possible, but can I give her a hug, please? Please. Yes. is describing in this passage of scripture show grace show love mercy forgiveness and that sounds so impossible particularly in a situation like this but that is only what God can do in and through your life He wants us to be displaying godly virtues regardless of our difficult situations. And over and over again, Peter overlays the gospel, the cross, and what Christ has done for us. And just as he has loved us, and shown us grace that we did not deserve, we in turn are to share, show that to others. I don't have video of it, but at the end of the trial, um, Amber Dagger was sent, sentenced to 10 years in prison for the, um, the death of uh, Botham Jean. Um, and then after... Uh, she was sentenced to two, 10 years. This is so a picture of the cross. The judge got down off her stand, off the podium, went down to Amber Geiger, gave Amber her Bible, saying, This is yours. Now go and read John 3.16 and apply that to your life. She also said this, You haven't done so much that you can't be forgiven. You did something bad in one moment in time. What you do now matters. And so that judge who had just sentenced Amber got off her platform behind me from her chair and gave Amber her Bible and gave her a, a hug and forgave her too. 
That's the cross, church. It's where God's justice and God's love intersects in the person of Christ. God knew someone was going to have to pay for our sin. And He didn't want us to have to pay for our sin. It would have never been acceptable. Because we're, we have so many flaws. It was going to require the perfect sacrifice of His Son. Of Himself dying in our place. And so church, as we go from this place, that needs to be on display in our lives. As we relate to our loved ones at home, in our work environment, wherever those difficult places might be, we're to show grace because we've received much grace. So Peter says, do good. And as you do good, guess what? God sees you. And God is going to bless you. Look at Psalm 34. Turn to Psalm 34 real quick. I am almost done. Really, almost done. Peter doesn't quote um, from verse um, 16 on. And I I just want to read verses 16 through 19. The face of the Lord is against those who... Well, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. He did quote that in uh, chapter chapter 3. His ears hear... the God hears the cries of the righteous. God sees the tears of the righteous. Verse 16. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil, to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. And so, church, what this young man did in the court this last, this last week, you know, he had all the reasons in the world to, to hate this woman, to maybe want to try to find revenge, Himself take justice into his own hands, you know, bear a a grudge, and hold on to this for the rest of his life. But that would never heal. That would never set him free. He he chose to do the Christ-like thing. That doesn't mean he's not going to forget. This is going to come up over and over and over again in his mind. But every time it comes up, that doesn't mean you haven't forgiven her. That just means this is another opportunity to forgive her. Keep letting it go. Peter asked Jesus, how many times do I need to forgive them? Seven times? He thought he was doing God a favor at that point. Jesus said, no, seven times 70, which really means don't keep, don't keep count, Peter. You just keep on forgiving. Because that's what Jesus has done for us. So just want to encourage you. 
whatever difficulty you're, you find yourself in, keep doing good. Keep trusting the heart of God. Keep displaying godly virtue in, in your life. And just know, as you suffer, as life is hard, and as you shed those tears, God sees and God hears. And you are going to be delivered. That's the good life. Ladies, I just want to share this with you. I forgot to share it last week. You know, if you're in in a relationship that's unequally yoked, you know, your husband is not a believer. He's got lots of questions. He's a skeptic when he comes to Christianity, and he's a hard nut to crack. We have a gentleman in our church that if he's open to a conversation, this man would love to get together with him. Because he had all those questions himself. He knows what your husband, where he's at. And we don't know if God will save him after this conversation, but... You know, it's the one, it's God who does the saving. And this, this gentleman just wants to be obedient. And so if you have a concern for your husband and you think you'd be open to a conversation, you see me and uh, I'll pass this information on to him. And let's just see what God will do. So... <clears throat> Let me finish by reading, again, Christ's example for all of us. Because everything that Peter shared with us over these last three weeks is marinated in Christ's suffering for us. So verses 20 through 24, and I conclude. Chapter 2. For what credit is it If when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it, you endure, this is is a gracious thing in the sight of God. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. And when he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. Let's pray. Thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for showing us and giving us the examples of how we are to live our lives in a dark and forsaken world. Help us to be light. Help us to be salt. Help us to be men and women of grace, regardless of the way that we are treated. Jesus, help us to be you. And as Tammy is playing quietly this morning, would you just share your heart with the Lord this morning asking God to help you to love that person 
that you so resent this morning? Who's brought nothing but stress into your life? Be Jesus. Do good. Love unconditionally. God, help us to display these godly virtues. Love, tenderness, humility, reconciliation, understanding. Thank you for being all those things to us. Help us to turn away from evil, to do the right thing so that our prayers will be heard. Help us as men to love our wives unconditionally, to be that living sacrifice. To treat her with tender, loving care. To understand her heart and to respond accordingly. Thank you, Jesus, for your word. The practicality of your word for this living illustration of what it looks like to forgive regardless of what has been done to us. God, help us to forgive. Help us to let go. to trust your heart. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.